I really don't look at it as nonprofit or for profit. I mean, if you don't sell, you don't eat. If you don't get donations, you can't do anything. It's the same principles for both for profit and nonprofit. I don't really separate them. What works and doesn't work for either holds true to both. Hey, y'all. Thanks for checking out this episode of Group Thinkers. I'm your host, Justin McCord. And on today's episode, uh, we're in for a real treat. I had a chance to sit down and have a conversation with Mark Horvath of Invisible People. Uh, Invisible People is an organization that drives so much of its marketing content through YouTube. Mark and I talk about uh, not only the use of video, but his direct response background from DRTV and on the commercial side of television production. And that spins into a really unique perspective that he has on finding his own purpose. So really hope you enjoyed as much as I enjoyed having the chance to chat with Mark. Before we cut to the interview, just want to remind you that you should, if you haven't already, you should subscribe to Group Thinkers. You can do that in whatever app you're listening to Group Thinkers on now. Always comment on the episodes. We love seeing and hearing feedback from our listeners. And for sure, follow us. We're on Twitter at Group Thinkers. So here you go, Mark Horvath with Invisible People. So Mark Horvath is with me today. Mark, thank you so much for joining us on Group Thinkers. And, uh, you know, I, I found you on Twitter uh, right after you had surpassed the 200,000 subscriber mark on YouTube and uh, was so fascinated by your organization and your presence, the content that you put out. Wanted to just kind of start our conversation today by you sharing a little bit of how you got into the nonprofit space. Yeah, but before I do that, I got to talk about something you just said. You found me on Twitter. So it's really interesting because I, for lack of a better term, can be called a dinosaur social media person. I, I've been doing, this is my 10-year anniversary of Invisible People is actually today. And it started a couple of days prior, but my first video uh, uploaded to YouTube was 10 years ago today. And if you look at all the top digital marketers in the social media space that started around the same time, many of them are really saying Twitter doesn't have value anymore. That Twitter is this, Twitter is that, Twitter has lost it. And I have to correct that because first, like you said, you found me on Twitter. And there's just this magic and serendipity that happens on Twitter. And if you look at the engagement that YouTubers get, and I'm not, obviously your Casey Neistat's are, you know, with millions of followers and subscribers have huge engagement. But small YouTubers, small creators that maybe have a couple hundred Twitter followers, there are a thousand Twitter followers and a thousand subscribers 
are having huge engagement on Twitter. And if you look closer, you'll see YouTubers are really great at engaging their community. I think what's happened is many of us, you know, dinosaur social media people who we've all been teaching, you don't broadcast, you don't broadcast, you don't broadcast on social media. We all started broadcasting. I mean, let's face it, marketers, we mess everything up. I mean, caveman walls many years ago probably started as these great art of dinosaurs and buffalo and campfires and some marker came along and put their sponsor on the wall just like we do with radio and you know event spaces now and television and social media we've created a lot of noise over the years and my point being is there is still a huge value in twitter and you get what out of something what you put into it. So I still invest most of my time in YouTube and Twitter. Probably I should say that differently. Twitter first, YouTube. YouTube has really changed me over the last 10 years and we can, we can, uh, or over the last year and we can talk about that, how I, uh, uh, YouTube gave me their homepage for a day many years ago and I didn't pay attention. I don't have many regrets in life, but that is one of my regrets that 24 hours uh, many years ago, YouTube allowed me to curate their homepage and I didn't take it seriously. So about a year and a half, I started taking YouTube seriously and the change has been amazing. So you asked about nonprofits. I, um, uh, my background is really in response television. And I first got into television, television syndication, making sure the world got Wheel of Fortune, Jeopardy, Married with Children, 21 Jump Street, a bunch of other shows. Now, I never met Vanna White. Believe it or not, there's people that actually work in Hollywood. You know, it's not all the TMZ party time. And uh, so uh, as I explain it, I was on the manufacturing end of television. Um, And then I ended up homeless. I ended homeless on Hollywood Boulevard. I rebuilt my life back to a three-bedroom house and a cushy marketing job and, you know, success on the horizon. And the economy tanked in OA and I lost everything again. And I grabbed the camera. I want to tell you that it was that I wanted to change the world. But really, I was giving myself purpose. I was, you know, need an excuse to get up in the morning. I was around 19 months unemployment, not consecutively. You know, I'd get a job and get laid off, get a job, get laid off. I, uh, my house is going into foreclosure. It was a really dark time. There was no jobs to be had. Um, and so I grabbed the camera and I started interviewing homeless people. It's something I got to tell you, as I've been looking back today is our 10 year anniversary. As I've been looking back, there's pieces of invisible people that I pitched to bosses uh, that uh, um, they all said wouldn't work, and obviously it works. Uh, But that's really how 
uh, after my homelessness, I went into uh, more television production, more response television, um, you know, the late night infomercial type stuff. And uh, uh, that was where I would really uh, uh, crafted uh, what I know, uh, my experience and knowledge in, in nonprofit marketing. But I, I really don't look at it as nonprofit or for profit. I mean, if you don't sell, you don't eat. If you don't get donations, you can't do anything. Um, it's the same principles for both for profit and nonprofit. And um, I, 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 that's how I view uh, marketing and communications in those sectors. I don't really separate them uh, as for-profit and non-profit. I think uh, what works and doesn't work for either holds true to both. Well, you mentioned purpose and how invisible people became something to help define your purpose or give you purpose walking out with the camera and starting to talk to those around you. So video for you has been this really interesting connection through the different facets of your career and, and your life over the last 10 to 15 years, if not longer. What do you think ultimately drove you to video? That first time walking out with the camera, was that a smartphone or was it some other handheld device? And and what does video empower you to do with invisible people? So I'm kind of laughing because why I started with video is I, uh, I hate to type. I hate to write. Um, I spell neighbor and a B O R and, uh, I, I, um, video was just, uh, I mean, blogging was coming into existence 10 years ago. Um, and that just wasn't me. So I decided to do video. Um, I've always been, uh, I, I, video producer, content producer at some level over the last probably 20 years. But uh, the original decision to use video was simply as I hate to type. Now today, if you're an organization, whether it be nonprofit and for profit, if you have a product service or a cause, if you're not doing video, just please write, reach out and slap yourself. Um, their video consumption is increasing exponentially. Uh, people now burst their bladders binge watching Netflix. Uh, the one of the main reasons I believe video is so important is. Uh, the mobile, everything's going mobile. This holiday season, this uh, Black Friday a couple of days ago was the first time that mobile purchasing surpassed desktop purchasing. Um, that's going to increase and increase. So people don't read a lot. It's hard you know, to read a lot on a phone, but they'll consume a video. And you know, if you want to transmit any kind of a story that is going to inspire the viewer to either purchase your product, buy your service, or donate to your cause, 
video is the best platform, the best, and it's not a platform, but video is the way to go, period. Um, you, it all works together. I mean, whether you're doing direct mail, whether you're doing in-person events, and it, it all interconnects. But video for online, I think, oh my gosh, I think we're just really at, at the very beginning of, of what's going to happen. So why, why I started is because I hate to type and I hate to write. Uh, why I continue is that I think video is the most important. It's only one part of a toolkit. Uh, you have to, I mean, in-person events is really, especially for a nonprofit or a for-profit where you can, you know, you use social media basically to make friends. It's really hard to convert on just social media. So uh, for example, um, you know, there's a lot of nonprofits all saying, look at me, look at me, give us money, look at me, come volunteer, look at me, give us money. And there's a lot of noise and it's really hard to stand out on that. So you can't expect that your digital communications are going to convert at a huge percentage. However, if you use social media, and this is one thing I did when I was a CMO of a large nonprofit, hey, come every Wednesday, have cheese and crackers and meet our CEO. When I got people on campus, the conversion to at least a volunteer and more often than not a donor was huge. If I tweet out, hey, come volunteer, it's not a lot of conversion. So my point is, is that you kind of, you know, we all talk about the sales funnel and different things is, you know, use social media to get people to come to your event, your in-person event. And that's really where you uh, work to convert them. And video plays a role there where you, you know, play a, a video on the screen to, you know, explain more about what you do, your product, your services. But video is huge. And, and you know, I talked a little bit about YouTube giving me their homepage for a day. And I would be, uh, I would regret not highlighting uh, the changes that I um, made about Oh, a year and a half ago. So Invisible People still made history. We're getting about 40,000 views a month. The topic is homelessness. Um, and we had about 20,000 subs. The topic is homelessness. I mean, 20,000 subs is still huge for a nonprofit. That's massive. That it, massive yeah. in terms of subscriber <laughs> numbers. Yeah. Um, so, but I just thought that was it. I thought, okay, 20,000 is all we're ever going to grow. Uh, 40,000 views, that's, that's what it's going to be. I'm grateful that we even have that. And then one day I typed homeless into YouTube. And all these, uh, they call them social enterprise, not social enterprise, uh, social experiments. Uh, they're really uh, people use them to game YouTube to make money. And there's, there's a lot of them and kids are getting their information 
from these videos and you know they're they're you could call them entertainment i guess uh, i was really disturbed by it but more so i was disturbed that none of my 600 videos now 800 videos came up uh when you type homeless into youtube and i have probably the biggest body of work on the subject of homelessness that anybody and my videos didn't come up there was a problem so that's when I started to do a deep dive into YouTube, into what works and, you know, with their algorithms and the community. I'll say the first thing that I made a mistake on was I never imagined that there would be a community around homelessness. I pictured that, you know, people, you know, like I was featured on Dateline NBC recently. MSNBC, I think, played the show last night, too. Um, the I'll get a lot of people that visit the site. I assume they would watch one or two videos and never come back. I mean, it's, you know, people don't go, hey, honey, let's go home and watch some homeless videos. So I never really grew the community thinking audience building. And I have to highlight that, too, um, because audience building – so often in the nonprofit sector and for-profit, well, nonprofit really, we think campaigns, campaigns, campaigns. I don't think campaigns. Campaigns are still important. I focus more on audience building. So once I realized that there was a community, there's people that watch every single Invisible People video. There's people that binge watch the videos. There's people that uh, really grew to support what I'm doing. And that's really, I've always focused on audience building, but I kind of put it uh, on steroids a year and a half ago. Once I made changes to YouTube and changes, I mean, uh, my thumbnails have always been pretty good. Um, and I experimented a little bit with um, adding text and different things. My thumbnails were okay, but my titles and my descriptions and my tags were horrible and once i went through and made changes and it was it took me a while to go and change the titles and the descriptions for 800 videos once i did that we skyrocketed we started we went from 40,000 views a month to 4 million views a month and currently we're at 200,000 subs uh, majority of those, well, we just hit 39 million views, 25 million views in the last year. Um, and I emphasize that because now 25 million views is my yearly benchmark once I made these changes. What I love about it, Mark, is your focus, as you said, over the last year and a half has been about measurement, optimization, and increasing engagement. Not about oh, I need better equipment. And, you know, that's where I find myself in having conversations with nonprofits about video is the investment in the resources up front or the desire for something that is super professional, polished, commercial, et cetera. And believe me, your content is fantastic. But I've also seen that your equipment isn't... <laughs> way over the top. I mean, this isn't a major capital investment. These aren't hundreds of thousands of dollars a piece of equipment that you're using. This is stuff that 
any nonprofit can access. And if you focus on the marketing side to increase engagement, you're going to swell that community and be able to set your own benchmarks and continue to optimize and scale your ability to tell story, which is exactly what you've done. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up. So if you, you know, look at my most popular videos, uh, there's one, Natasha. Uh, I think it's a million views right now, million, maybe a million three. Um, it was shot on my, my iPhone. And I, I really didn't think at the time, uh, I mean, uh, the, the, the takeaway is authenticity has replaced production value. There's still a place for produced videos. On average, you know, uh, a video producer such as myself will come in $1,000 a minute. A five-minute video is going to cost you $5,000. And there's a place for that. But you shouldn't just throw away a good story because you don't have a camera with you or a light. So if you look at Natasha's story, I just landed at Heathrow. I was jet lagged. I was out looking for food. It was raining. It's bad lighting, bad audio. But I met this woman who was homeless, asked her to tell her story, pulled out my phone. Overnight, it reached 169,000 views. Now, what's interesting, and it's really a takeaway, so... The first is content. You got to have a good story. So you could do all the looking at data and everything else. But if you don't have good content to begin with, you know, you're not going to, you know, get the results that you want. Um, The other is don't be afraid of conflict. And what I mean is so often, and this is true, both nonprofits and for-profits, if somebody leaves a, what would be considered maybe a negative comment on Facebook or YouTube or Twitter, you freak out. A lot of nonprofits won't even allow comments on YouTube because they're worried about it. And yes, YouTube is known for trolls. However, a healthy community will police itself. And the controversy really helps grow views and grows engagement. What happened was on Natasha's video, there was a lot of people really coming out and saying, oh, she's not really homeless. She's faking it. And it started this argument, but then the community policed itself and it ended up being a really healthy conversation about welfare reform in the UK, which is what I'm after. And if I had closed down the comments or deleted them, none of that wouldn't have happened. I would probably, the video would be at a couple hundred thousand views, but because a healthy community engages itself also got it. And this is so true with nonprofit. How many of you have seen uh, America's Home Makeover? I think that's the name with the bus, right? You've seen Move it, right? that bus. Yeah, right. Move that bus. How long is the bus segment? I don't know, 15, 20 seconds? Yeah, five minutes tops. The rest of the show, 50 minutes is drama. It's drama. We're attracted to drama. Look at any show that people are consuming, whether it's online or, or you know, uh, on, on broadcast television, 
it's trauma. I mean, ABC had the had the recipe right then is that you have drama, 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 and you have five minutes of, oh, great, move that bus. Where nonprofits just want to do the move the bus stuff. They forget people are addicted to drama. What we do is we remove all this conflict and this drama, and we just want to show trophies. And we wonder why people aren't engaging with our 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 content now yeah i mean drama when i say drama people are engaged to where there's you know uh, i guess the best way to say it is and i'm going to use it in the homeless services lens i believe one of the reasons my content has resonated with people is everybody has had somebody in their inner circle, a brother-in-law, a sister, a cousin who has had mental illness or drug addiction or possibly experienced homelessness. They know that person didn't get out of homelessness or get sober or get the help they need overnight. They knew it took time and time and time again, yet nonprofits put up this content saying, hey, we solved homelessness. And and people kind of detach from that. To use a very real example, when I was CMO of a nonprofit, it was a homeless services nonprofit, we would play on this a little bit. And... So when we moved a homeless person into housing, it would show huge engagement, obviously. People love a happy ending. However, if we would tell the story leading up to that, like, oh, Jim is now three months sober. Jim is now four months sober. Jim relapsed. He went back out. Jim's back. When we showed what I'm calling drama, when we showed the process of Jim going from homelessness into home, the engagement was through the roof. This episode of Group Thinkers is brought to you by the RKD Group blog. You might be listening on a mobile device right now, and if so, you can go ahead and open up a browser window and visit rkdgroup.com slash blog. When you get there, you're going to find all sorts of resources tackling issues that are current in the nonprofit marketing space. There's channel-specific resources focused on direct mail, digital, multi-channel, and even omni-channel. There's also hot topics like GDPR, mid-level, digital media, look-back windows, and more. It's all over at rkdgroup.com slash blog. And now, back to Group Thinkers. So often we're scared to show that when the public already knows people just don't recover and get better overnight. And for for for-profit, you can do this too. You can show how your product is being made or you can show how your services, uh, you know, are being implemented and different things. You just have, you know, we so often do the ta-da moment, you know, there's a lot that leads up to that ta-da moment. And that is what people are attracted to. And so often we don't put that in our storytelling. 
There's no doubt. So the conversation that we have a lot within our office and with nonprofits is around the offer and the offer, the why am I writing to you today? That's about the problem that you're trying to solve as a nonprofit. And the problem is what creates that authenticity that you mentioned earlier. It's what connects with people who are seeking for their own purpose and trying to look for ways to make the world more humane, just, compassionate, et cetera. And they can help solve that problem when they partner with a nonprofit. Nonprofit on the other side, and you know, this is back to what you said about marketers messing up the the caves long ago. We want to jump to the badges, the number of cents that we use on the dollar, et cetera, as proof points and Sometimes that creates creative drift where we actually bury the offer and distract people from what we actually do. Uh, one of the things that you've talked a lot about, and I've seen this in TED Talks of yours, and, and really I'm fascinated by the work on digital inclusion that you're doing. Tell us a little bit about what your perspective is on digital inclusion and what you're doing there. I, I will, but I got to say one thing before we move off where we currently Please. are. So what you just said, Chris Brogan, who's a hero of mine, used to say so often we want to, you know, as marketers, we want to go right to French kissing without holding hands. And, and, and that's so true. But the, the, the point that I would really uh, regret if I didn't make to people, that is a myth that we have to bust about video. So first off, one of the reasons I use YouTube over Facebook is nobody sees my videos on Facebook unless I pay money. If I spend the time and research keywords and, you know, put effort into the titles and tags and thumbnails and description, people see my videos for free. doesn't cost me anything. Um, the other issue and is length of time. There is this myth that on, people only consume short videos. And uh, I mean, again, people burst their bladder watching Netflix, you know, um, people watch long form videos. Now, YouTube in itself rates videos uh, by watch time. Uh, once Facebook, it used to be views, but once Facebook came around, started doing videos, they had to figure out somewhere else to be able to, you know, measure engagement. So it's watch time. So if you only have a two minute video or three minute video, you're not going to get a lot of watch time and the algorithm's not going to push up your videos. How I've confiscated for that, it, uh, confiscated, <laughs> compensated for that is I started doing longer form vlogs and what, I think is really important and I, I have to emphasize it. So I had a client, nonprofit client, extremely large nonprofit client who uh, commissioned me to make some videos. One of them was three minutes and 20 seconds long, 327 actually. Well, they wanted me to cut 27 seconds because they believe every video has to be below three minutes or nobody's going to watch it. And now, if the platforms, like, for instance, I think Twitter is 140 seconds, you know, so yes, you can't go longer than that. If the platform has a length requirement, obviously, you have to meet that broadcast television, for example, you know, 2830 is, you know, uh, for your broadcast television. 
But if you do not have a length requirement, produce for your audience, don't produce for the spike. And I'm going to repeat that because it's so important because everybody looks at their YouTube algorithms and they see the spike at the very beginning and they go, oh, we're missing all these people. They left. And that's the spike. If you go down about 50% of the way, that's your audience. Your audience stays. The people that come to your video and leave are going to leave no matter what you do. So you do not want to produce for the spike. However, that's what people believe. For some reason, some marketer someplace sold the public on that you should only have short form content. It's ridiculous. Motor Trend Magazine, if you Google Motor Trend and One Billionth View, they have a great article where they talk about how when they started producing long form content and they started uh, really engaging with people, that's when their YouTube channel grew. When they're just, you know, they said, you know, everybody believed YouTube is short. Now for mobile video, People are not going to watch for very long. You know, there's different situations where short form works better than long form and situations where long form works better than short form. But produce for your audience. Don't produce for analytics and for the spike. That's transferable across all channels, though. I mean, it's the same thing that people wrestle with in email marketing and direct mail, the short copy versus long copy. And we've tested that hundreds of times and seeing the long copy win out almost always. And it's because of the depth of authenticity, like you mentioned earlier, and producing for the audience. Yeah. Yeah. So your, your digital inclusion, which is one of my favorite topics, um, it's interesting. So almost the same amount of people that are experiencing homelessness own a smartphone as regular folks. It's also interesting that the general public, when they see a homeless person with a smartphone or a laptop, kind of freak out. Oh, they're, they're poor. They shouldn't have a smartphone. How the heck do you better your life if you cannot connect to the internet? I mean, every one of us, I mean, now uh, iOS has this uh, time meter where it tells you how much time you spend on your phone. I had to turn mine off because it, it was definitely fake news. And, <laughs> and but the, it, the point I'm trying to make is each one of us, we, you know, look at maps, we, you know, search for stuff we need, we contact our doctor, we all do it from our phone or our laptop. When I speak to live audiences, I ask, what are the two things, if you knew you were going to be homeless tomorrow, that you would make sure that you had, and it's laptop and phone. Yet we still judge people that, oh my gosh, they're experiencing poverty. They shouldn't have what we take for granted. And even the homeless sector does that. So the homeless sector, so if, if, if you're a techie and you're listening to this and you go and you have a hackathon 
God bless you. We need to really tap into tech to help solve a lot of social crisis. But don't create a directory. So often what happens is really well-intentioned people, you know, create a directory of services and we already have Google. You know, if Google could end homelessness, they probably would. Um, a directory doesn't really help that much. And my point is every, so the last study, and there's a new one coming out, but the last study was 67% of America, I think adoptions are much higher now, 67% of Americans have smartphones, 62% of homeless people have smartphones. They have this phone, this mobile device in their hand. The digital inclusion problem is they don't often have access to the internet. So your your Boost Mobile and your chip, Cricket and chip, where did I get that? Your Cricket and your low-end providers really tap you on bandwidth. Anyways, what the tech industry and what the homeless industry doesn't tap into is that person on their phone could fill out forms, do their own intake. They could, you know, receive wellness updates. They could SMS or video chat with their uh, support workers. There's so much that a homeless person could do from their phone that would actually alleviate the burden on social services, um, but instead they still make homeless people come to the office, fill out old school paperwork, wait in line. I mean, I know a woman that has lived in an alley in downtown Los Angeles now 17 years. She suffers from anxiety. She's never going to go to somebody's office and sit there like you're waiting for a dentist all day. She um, is a wonderful person. I've literally begged outreach workers to go visit her. It's not that outreach workers are bad. Los Angeles has tens of thousands of homeless people all needing help and there's not enough support. So they're doing the best they can. Jocelyn owns a tablet. She could connect to the internet and fill out those paper, fill out the paperwork and the forms and everything else while she's in the alley. All she needs is to find, you know, Wi-Fi from a Burger King or, or Starbucks someplace. However, the system, ah, the homeless services still doesn't realize the importance of mobile. And that even goes to, I mean, you know, I, I, it's really, we really need to pay attention. I, I, this is the first Black Friday where mobile sales surpassed on, you know, desktop sales. So it's the same with, uh, but how, how many, especially small businesses are, really focused on mobile. How many nonprofits are focused on mobile? To really put the package together a little bit from the first thing we were talking about to now, 
And I haven't looked in a while, so they might have changed this, but the American Cancer Society used to have these one-minute videos on their mobile site that were just brilliant because people aren't going to read. It's just, I mean, you, have you ever been on your phone looking at an email thinking, man, that person writes a whole way too much and you can't read it all, and you get on your laptop and you say, oh, that's that wasn't really a lot, but on a phone, text looks like a lot. So the American Cancer Society you know, compensated with that by having these really short videos to explain everything on a mobile device. And many of them were personal testimonies, which is really so key. Uh, I mean, uh, back when I did response television to what I do now is the personal testimonies of people. Man, I I just transitioned back from nonprofit uh, digital inclusion to marketing. But uh, uh, the personal testimonies are so important. But so often we, you know, interview an executive director uh, and our CEO instead of the people we're trying to help. Well, there's this budding movement of tech to change or shape or improve the world. And it's not something that you alone are passionate about. We've got another episode with Amy Sample Ward, the CEO of Intend. And digital inclusion is a major focus for the nonprofit technology network as well. So it's, this is a topic that is, uh, is extremely prominent right now. How can people find or connect with you, Mark? So, um, invisiblepeople.tv is the website uh, in about, uh, you said uh, this is launching in December, so you may or may not see the brand new Invisible People. If it's not orange, come back. Um, The uh, Invisible People also on YouTube. Uh, and the best way I'm at hardly normal is my personal Twitter where you get a bunch of, uh, homeless stuff, marketing stuff and what I'm eating for lunch. Uh, if you just want to follow the topic of homelessness at invisible people, both on, uh, Twitter and Instagram, Instagram, I have a little different strategy um, where uh, so often nonprofits use need-based images of homeless people, making them look like just, you know, helpless and they're hungry and all they need is a meal. Uh, My Instagram strategy is to offset that by showing homeless people as the people, real people that they are. Excellent. Well, Mark, thanks so much for taking time to chat with us today. I loved our conversation about purpose and authenticity and certainly your passion for video, uh, even through your phone, walking around with that camera and computer in your pocket to be able to transform the way that people see an issue and engage with it. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. So there's the chat with Mark great dude, quite the character. And I just had so much fun talking with him. I really enjoyed his perspective on storytelling, not just his perspective, but also his practice of storytelling. If you check out the Invisible People channel on YouTube, you're going to be treated to some incredible stories in the field work and Uh, You'll see how Mark does exactly what he and I talked about, which is not only tell great stories, but optimize how he does it along the way. So be sure to check out Mark's work 
with invisible people. Uh, you can do it on YouTube. You can just do a simple search there. You can also go to invisiblepeople.tv, as Mark mentioned, new website and, and web experiences coming for him and his team soon. Uh, before we go, just want to remind you to subscribe and comment on this episode. You can also throw us a follow uh, on Twitter at Group Thinkers as well as RKD Group. Thanks so much for checking out this episode and we will see you down the road. Group Thinkers is a production of RKD Group. For more information, check out rkdgroup.com slash podcast. Special thanks to Becky V and the team for all the production work on this and every episode of Group Thinkers.